The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Trail Radio, episode 431, coming to you on Tuesday. January 25th, we're going to look back at a crazy month in which USC has dipped in and out of the transfer portal, completely changing the roster for Lincoln Riley's first season at USC in 2022. We're going to talk about the new guys, talk about the guys who have left and so much more here on this episode, plus open up a mailbag of your questions, look back at the over-under season-long predictions we had of 2021. So much on the docket here in this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast. Wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com. And our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Second What's Bruin Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, here in the Ranatory studio in Los Angeles, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, we are back. So we made we uh, made a, a critical error, Michael. A couple weeks ago, we made a critical error because we were set up to sort of say, okay, well, we're going to record on Monday. And then the weekend happened, and the weekend started to feel a little bit like maybe a certain quarterback transfer would be making his announcement at any moment. So we went into Monday saying, well, we'll record after that happens. And then we went into Tuesday saying, we'll record after that happens. And then we went into Wednesday, we'll, we will record after that happens. And then it was the end of the week. And it was like, well, it hasn't happened yet. So I guess we're not recording. And uh, and so that accounted for a, a week of delay. We had some some family stuff come up uh, this this past week that prevented us from recording. So sometimes that just happens. But uh, I think we needed the reminder to not base the podcast schedule around decisions Here's the thing about that haven't been announced. The, the biggest fear is always having your episode rendered irrelevant as soon as you post 
because something new happens. Like what happened literally when USC fired Clay Hilton and we had recorded an hour and 20 minute podcast and you yes. guys only heard 10 minutes of it. Yeah, we, we got completely rid of it. Yes. Um, yeah, something something to that effect. The ultimate fear of every podcaster. At the same time, we need to get over that. Yeah. We're talking about the the hunt for Caleb Williams that USC is in, uh, which at this point feels like it might get resolved in mid-season or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we just learned our lesson to not base uh, base the schedule around uh, around these kinds of things because Caleb Williams is taking his sweet time and I I firmly believe that's because he's making his decision still. I don't think he's stringing anybody along. I think he's still making his decision, but um it's just <laughs> you know what? It happens. Yeah. And while people are waiting for SC to wrap him up, I want to give a big shout out to our friend for USC grabbing an old uh, Keely Orr. Yeah, Keely is leaving uscfootball.com after many, many years, and she is going to work for the the, the mothership, the big boss, the, 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 the actual V of it all, USC. It's Going from uscfootball.com to usctrojans.com, it's like... It's an interesting transition That's, to yeah. get that URL right. Yeah, no kidding. She, I mean, Keely only works for the really, really official sounding uh, URLs is what we've Apparently, learned. yeah. But yeah, she's going to be the team reporter uh, for uh, football and, and basketball, men's and women's. And what's her title? Director of Creative Content. Something, yeah, something that official sounds sounding. fancy. Yeah, yeah. Su- super fancy. No, so Ke- Keely deserves it all. We're very, very happy for her. Thousand percent. We we've all been, you know, watching her work and and do her uh, incident analysis and tunnel vision and all that stuff. Uh, and and she's been on the show multiple times, and she's the best. So yeah, big shout out to her. Super pumped. Uh, which got us a question from David Orange County and Slack. Will Alicia and Michael be entering the transfer portal and committing to uscfootball.com and taking over for Shotgun and Keely? <laughs> uh, no, we're going to unlike uh, college football uh, players who are uh, are not so quick to, to, to shoot down rumors. Uh, no, we are staying put. We are happy uh, not being in the transfer portal. We are Raina Troy forever. Although we did get, uh, you know, poor, poor Chris Trevino getting a... Uh, <laughs> he did getting, send us a tweet that said, "Are you looking for a third pos- podcaster? I can send my resume." <laughs> uh, he, he becomes an official part of the of the Family Feud pod, and they just scatter. <laughs> it is brutal, absolutely brutal. <laughs> um, but here's the thing: Chris is fantastic. He is. Everyone that Ryan still has is fantastic, even mm-hmm. though uh, Shotgun has moved across the country and Keeley's moving on. Uh, they will be just fine. Ryan is gonna find uh someone who who can who can fill in the void, and uh, you know, Gerard's still over there. Mm-hmm. Dan yeah. contributes from time to time. Yeah, Chris is there. Yeah, they got people. Yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. Uh, but there's a lot of news to get to, real news to get to. Uh, up next, let's do that. Let's get to the news and start with what we've kind of already talked about. Caleb Williams watched 5,000 of you as you have put it here in the rundown. There's photos showing his dad moving his stuff out of Norman. 
Reports suggest he's down to LSU and USC, but let's be real. No one knows anything, and we won't know anything until it's officially announced. Yeah, basically at this point, what we've learned is that no one has a read on this thing. I think a lot of people assume he'll end up at USC. I think a lot of people see NIL possibilities uh, at places like LSU and Georgia and Texas A&M. I think you can see quarterback development opportunities for him at Oklahoma and Ole Miss. I think there's a lot of reasons for him to be talking to a lot of schools. No one actually knows what Caleb Williams is thinking right now because it seems to me like Caleb Williams is going through his process and figuring out what the best spot for him is, and he's taking his time just like he said he would. The family, you know, they said straight up that they were going to take their time to to make this decision, and he is. Uh, the important thing for USC is that the deadline to out or drop classes is on Friday, I believe. So by January 28th, he will either be enrolled at USC or he will not be enrolled at USC. So we should have waited to hold off on the pod. I mean, we we could wait. We could wait another six Couple months, days, I yeah. guess, if we really wanted to I mean, be certain. Too, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just one of those. Situ- it, I'm gonna liken it to the USC head coaching search, right? Where when people have their things in, under a wrap, when 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 people or organizations decide that they're not going to let any any information get out, they don't let information get out, and you get a lot of rumors and people who are speculating or musing or coming up with their own narratives in their head, all of that comes together and the information you receive is is from that bent. The fact of the matter is that when USC was going through the process of figuring who they were going to hire, they didn't let a single thing leak out. And then, lo and behold, in a wild sort of six hours, it turned out it was Lincoln Riley. Um, with Caleb Williams, I think it's the same thing. I think Caleb Williams has this thing on lock and he's going to reveal where he's going when he reveals where he's going. And I don't think that anyone is going to know about it beforehand. And I mean, this brings us to some of the, the fight on emoji stuff that's been going on. Well, I, I, before, before that, I wanted to talk about what it means for the quarterback position in general, because the big fear I think everyone has is what happened, you know, five years ago. Um, and was a repeated thing, uh, and not just five years ago, more recently than that, and, and even longer than that, the repeated missing of quarterbacks that SC went under. Mm-hmm. They they got Sam Darnold, right? And Sam Darnold made up for a lot of it. Um, but at the same time, they had this weird thing and uh, where they would try to go after Tate Martell, but then they were flirting with, with Shea Patterson, and then they ended up getting neither. Uh, they were trying to, to, to get... Um, uh, to Otonga Bailoa, and they were trying to get him along with all those other and guys. They, and then they, they got, got Matt Corral, and then uh, and then they got neither. And they're trying to get yeah, yeah Corral, and then they got and, neither. And Bryce uh, Young and DJ Uyunglele, and, and got neither. Right, yeah. and th- this thing where um they're trying Jake to play Garcia their... and Jackson Dart and Miller Moss. Well, I mean, they did get two of the three. I mean. <laughs> but the, one of them left, you know, that's the whole sure. thing. Sure, like it, it's it's one of those things where it's hard to get all, it, it, it's hard to recruit these quarterbacks and you don't want to miss and have nothing. You also want to put, because you want to put all of your, your recruiting points into your guys so you ensure that you get them, but you don't want to put all your recruiting points in there and have nothing to show for it if you don't get him at the end of the day. And lo and behold... 
Uh, Jackson Dart has now moved on to put himself into the transfer portal. Looking elsewhere, it looks like he's going to look at Ole Miss and, and Oklahoma as his top two sort of options, along with Michael Trigg sort of as a a package. And in a weird sort of way, if SC gets Caleb Williams, then this doesn't exactly work out, but it's almost like a it's like a like a pro sports trade where you had to get rid of you had to trade Michael Trigg to upgrade Jackson Dart to Caleb Williams. And I think you can sort of live with that. At the end of the day, if you don't get Caleb Williams and you lose Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg and you have just Miller Moss for for spring ball, that's that's a problem. That that's Well, it sucks, but also I think that Miller Moss gets treated like he was some walk-on scrub, sure. and I don't think sure. that's who he is. So I don't. The, the, the problem is the problem Miller is, Moss. The problem is that there's nobody behind Miller Moss on on Yes, absolutely. And if USC misses out on Caleb Williams, I think that just opens the door for the summer transfer window to be another another potential for swapping out quarterbacks or figuring all of that kind of stuff out. Right. Also, Lincoln Riley has his quarterback coming in next year in in Malachi Nelson. So. But you still you, you still you need still, guys as a backup for Miller Moss. Oh, you can't abso- just have one guy. Oh, absolutely. But like you were never going to have Miller Moss and Caleb Williams and Jackson Dart. Like the whole deal, you you were always going to have a quarterback and Miller Moss, and that's it. Um, and even then, you're playing with fire there with Miller Moss because Miller Moss could decide. No, I'm 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 not going to wait around here. Right. I'm going to go. I'm going to go find my way. He so, might not want to be the 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 Matt Fink of this. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I don't think he would be, I, I wouldn't blame him for that. So this is the nature of quarterback situations with the transfer portal. No position is going to have more turnover because of the transfer portal than quarterbacks because you're going to have backups going this well, we, way, we, that way, this way, that way. We haven't seen it before the transfer portal. Yeah. yeah. But really yeah. the last decade since they allowed the, the graduate, graduate transfer, transfer. Yeah. yeah. So this is just a reality of what it is. And, and I think that it, it just makes too much sense for Lincoln Riley to try and get Caleb Williams. He's a guy he knows. Um, we talked. About, we, we've heard about Lincoln Riley being extremely discerning in how he chooses his quarterbacks, and Caleb Williams was his guy. So I don't blame him at all for when Caleb decided that he wanted to enter the transfer portal, that he took the risk of of Jackson Dart not handling it well, and still went after him and still looked at it as a, a definite possibility of, of bringing Caleb Williams in. I don't think that that is a misstep in any way, shape, or form by Lincoln Riley. The important thing is if you miss out on both of those guys, if Caleb Williams goes somewhere else and now Jackson Dart goes somewhere else, what do you what do you do from there? The fact still remains, Lincoln Riley is one of the top quarterback coaches in the country. Somebody will want to come. Maybe right. it's Dylan Gabriel, who left UCLA to oh go to boy. Oklahoma only for Jackson Dart to end up at Can Oklahoma. You like that? I mean it's a it's a wreck. It's a wreck. Like don't 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 talk to me about like there are no there are no angels here. All of these players and all of these coaches and everybody is two timing everybody else as far as who they're looking at. So I just think this is the nature of the beast and what comes will come in terms of how you deal with quarterback depth. It was never going to be pretty the whole de- the qu- quarterback depth thing. So I just, I think you can spin yourself in in circles, sort of figuring out the best way to handle it, and you still could end up with no quarterbacks at all. 
Yeah, 100%. I think the problem here is that you just you you want someone else there with with Miller Moss this spring. And I think you surely. will get somebody. Yeah, you 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 would you would have to think it could be someone even if it's someone to to take reps behind Miller Moss or, or whatnot. Now the problem is realistically, I I am confident that USC will get somebody. I don't know that it'll be somebody for the spring though, because again, if Caleb Williams doesn't make it known in time, they're running out of time. You've run out of time to bring anybody in in time right. for spring. So I don't 100%. know. Yeah, that, that's a problem. There is another guy who is out there who has a, a certain USC tattoo on him. Hey, JT Daniels, transferring from uh, from Georgia after winning a national title as so a backup I'm, quarterback. I'm very intrigued where he's going to go because the the quarterback market is very fascinating because I feel like there's a lot of schools that sort of have their guy, right? Like, uh, especially for for someone like JT who who needs a one-and-done situation, I don't know that there's that many schools that are, you know, capable of housing that one-and-done guy. Yeah, it depends. It really depends on what the perception of JT Daniels is at this point in his career. And I can see it being a problem because... He has a, a an injury red flag, a big one at this point. Sure, yeah. He has been injured since his freshman year. Twice he's been Wally pipped. Yeah, and that's a problem for him. And and if I'm like, I don't know, if I'm Cal, who just got the Purdue transfer, I think J T. Daniels is probably a good bet to to go after if you want to bring him back to California. But am I also going to drive away that Purdue transfer in but, order to bring in an injury-prone quarterback? I'm not but sure. But if you're JT and your your job this year is to just start every game and make make the case that you can be productive and get drafted and still be a first-round draft pick, is Cal the place to go? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know I don't what I mean. Well, and, but is what other options? I guess my question is, what realistic options does he have? Because, like you said, whoever brings him in is going to have to at this point, forego, except for Ole Miss. Ole Miss is still looking for that quarterback. Right. But if they get Jackson Dart or if they get Caleb Williams, that's off the table for, for JT. Yeah, so. like, and, and I don't know LSU and A&M's situation, you know, to a T, but maybe that's a suitor. I don't know. Well, a and got I, LSU's Max Johnson. This is the, the crisscrossing here. A, A&M got Max Johnson from LSU, and I think somebody else. LSU has picked up some somebody I don't remember who, but like it's crazy. Yeah, and the the other one that I was gonna the other spot that I was gonna mention being SC. I think USC going after JT Daniels if they don't get Caleb Williams makes sense. However, I don't know that JT completely fits what Lincoln Riley wants to do in the sense that Lincoln Riley has not had a stationary quarterback. In a long, long time. Look at all the quarterbacks that he has had. He has had mobile quarterbacks. And so I don't know if he necessarily fits. At the same point, you got to find someone and you can make the argument that Miller Moss doesn't necessarily fit that mold either to a T. And does that mold even matter? And for a one-year situation, would it matter? And can you make a concession and just go with JT Daniels, who you know can surely throw the ball pretty well? Like... He can fit the 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 mold in the passing game. I don't know. I I don't know. It's a thought. I don't think it would be a a, 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 a you know terrible decision. I think it would be akin to keeping Keaton Slovis around, which I think 
is is worth a worth a punt, as the the Brits say, which is funny to me because in American lingo, punt is punt the opposite. Is the, yeah. Uh, so worth a kick, I guess. But um, well, so I personally would take JT Daniels back if Caleb Williams is not coming and if Jackson sure. Dart decides not to return. I think you could do a lot worse than a year of JT Daniels. Thousand percent, yes. Uh, even if I agree with you, I don't think he's the ideal quarterback for in Lincoln a one-year situation. It might not matter. Yeah, I don't know that it matters all that much. Uh, in the the running ability, you're going to get that with Malachi Nelson when when he comes in, and then you know that Malachi Nelson is the heir apparent. You're just going to run with it. Yeah. Uh, do I think it's going to happen? It just feels too outlandish. I mean. College football is outlandish right now. It just the possibility of it just feels like, oh, that would be cool, but also like, no, like that's just not going to happen. So, uh, I'm just, uh, I th- I think it would be very fun, just not particularly realistic in terms of things I can see happening. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's talk about the fight on emojis. They have been go- running rampant for all of USC's incoming transfers because there's been a million of them. But it's sort of started this trend where, you know, the the emojis, the cryptic um, uh, messages on Twitter have been around forever. I remember, um, was it Jim Harbaugh, when he was at Stanford, would tweet out area codes yeah. of, of kids of who would, who would commit. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Washington would tweet out woofs. And I always like those kind of things. Yeah. And then it got to USC as the the victory sign, uh, fight on emoji. But I don't know how I feel about, like, I love when the coaches do it, or Gavin Morris does it, or someone on staff, like Eric Ziskin would do it. Like, I don't know how I feel about the official account doing it. Doesn't feel quite the same for me. And it's created the situation where every one of these guys that SC has brought in in the last week or so, Mario Williams, Brendan Rice, Austin Jones, Travis Dye, Tyrone Tulaney, Romello Height, Shane Lee, Makai Blackman, Lertrell McCutcheon, we're going to talk about all those guys in a minute, have all gotten this treatment. And it's sort of weird because every time the fight on emoji goes, and some of them have gotten two fight on emojis, it's this thing where it's like, well, it's this one, Caleb Williams? Is this one? And it's almost, it, it makes it an unfair letdown when it's Travis Dye, right? Like, it, Which is insane. Like, like, like it shouldn't be a letdown <laughs> the to, leading, to fans that, oh yeah, a guy the who has rusher, like... Or Oregon's leading rusher is leaving to come to USC and it's right, like, oh, okay. That shouldn't be a letdown, but yet when you have it in the, the pantheon of like this hunt for Caleb Williams, right? Like then it sort of is. And so I I don't know how I feel about it in that sense. I'm going to defend the fight on emojis. Um, I think they're very fun. I think that they drum up excitement around the USC program, and I think it's a smart use of social media. Um, my My only misgiving about them is kind of what you've gotten to, is that I feel like USC risks killing the bit by the way that they're sending them out. And I'm going to blame Lincoln Riley specifically for this because I had sort of had it in the back of my mind that, okay, so we've been getting the USC football account tweeting it. We've been getting staffers that have been tweeting it left and right, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that's a lot of fun because then it's like, oh, what's coming? What's coming? What's coming? I thought if Lincoln Riley tweets it, it means it's Caleb Williams. Like, it means it's the big one. It's 
the 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 you know the big one and so on sunday he tweeted it not once but twice and i'm not saying that romello height and shane lee aren't huge pickups we're going to talk specifically about those guys later but i think lincoln is in danger of killing it because now you're going to end up with the fight on emojis come out and people are going to go oh it's going to be some rando like tight end from wisconsin or something like then it's it's it just it you almost risk creating so much anticipation that you kill off future into anticipation and i think usc could have maintained that if a lincoln fight on was exclusive and rare and um that's my only thing i i totally feel bad for some of these dudes because there have been fight ons and like you're right the announcement comes and it's like oh okay well that's nice but it's not caleb so i feel bad that they didn't get like the hubbub that they probably deserve but i kind of enjoy the madness of an afternoon when the fight on gets sent and then everyone is hitting refresh and getting excited and sort of trying to figure out who it might be or who you know when it's going to come and like i just i enjoy that community like if sure. you if you on usc football like message boards on reddit or twitter or uh trojansports.com uscfootball.com we are sc all of those things like the communities are being spun up like the communities are coming together because everyone's right. getting excited and it just i think people being excited about anything regarding usc is fun and amplifying yeah, it I get i'm that. here for it i i get that part of it 100 <laughs> percent. i i guess the thing that that i liked was but when like, it was like an underground thing when eric ziskin was putting them up yeah for every fax received yeah. And then you're counting them. You're like, there's an extra one. Is that Teleno who found it? Like, yeah. That kind of thing, right? Like, that was enjoyable. And that was a little nugget to to the hardcore fan and all that stuff. And so when it gets adopted by the main account, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like, it, it that's, just. That's fair. I, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. But again, this is where I'm, I'm coming from, where it's like, I wish that. It was only the exclusive, like, if the USC football account tweeted it because it was, like, the number one recruit or something like that. Like, and then you start to get, well, well, it's exclusive, blah, blah, blah. But, like, the moment that USC starts doing the little fight on thing for, like, no offense to three-star linebackers who rank, like, 900 or whatever. But, like, if they do it for one of those guys, like, okay, you're, you're killing the bit. You're killing the bit. So, here's the way I see it. I think the coaches or the someone on the coaching staff... Should do it for everybody. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely everybody. But like the USC football. the USC, USC account should not do it at all, but rather to just confirm. Yeah. Just be the confirmer. Yeah. Rather than the, the spreader. Yeah, that's fair. That's how I look. Or yeah. just the USC, football, uh, the USC football account just retweets the other one. Yeah, retweet um, Angie. What's her last name? I don't know. I, 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 there's a whole new wave of sports staffers and I need to get used to their names. But yes, retweet all those people like retweet Gavin Morris, although Gavin Morris is having a lot of fun with this sure. <laughs> and the fans freaking sure. out. So I don't know. It's been a fun week. It's been a stressful week, but it's been a fun week. And part of it is how many it's been like a transfer every day. And, yeah, and let's let's talk about them. There's a, there's a bunch of them. Um, we have to start with the, the big one, which is Mario Williams, four star wide receiver uh, who comes in. 
after one season at Oklahoma, 35 catches for the Sooners uh, in his first season. He's the big fish because we, we've talked about it before. USC's offense, uh, they have, a, in terms of the receiving core, they have a bunch of solid guys, but there's no Drake London there, right? There's, there's no uh, Michael Pittman there. Mario Williams is the guy who could be that guy, right? He could be that guy. Yes, and that's the the biggest thing is just star power. And Mario Williams has star power. USC has added a couple guys who I think could be great contributors, but they're more in the mold of like a Taj Washington where you're going to get, or or Gary Bryant Jr., we're going to get some good plays from them, but are they the Michael Pittman, Drake London, Amon Ross St. Brown sort of level playmaker, Juju Smith-Schuster stars. And I think Mario Williams is is as close to that guy as as USC has. And it makes a difference um, for USC to, to, to have that guy and to kick off this transfer spree, really, with the momentum gaining. As soon as you get Mario Williams, uh, you're, you're making a statement, I think. Yeah, and, it, and it's not just Mario Williams. It's Brendan Rice on offense, the wide receiver out of Colorado, a guy who hasn't been as productive as, say, um, LaVisca Chenault at Colorado, but the last two years have been sort of a different animal from from the uh, from the Buffaloes on offense uh, in the Carl Durrell era, which is wild to say we're already going into the year three of, of Carl, Carl Durrell. Durrell. Yeah. How, how time is a weird is a weird thing right now. Yes. But yes. Brendan Rice, someone who has high expectations in ser- in terms of there's a lot of uh, hype in terms of his potential. Well, hasn't exactly, you know, been lit the world on fire in terms of on-field production, but someone who could certainly fit the system and it, explode really. When your dad is Jerry Rice, that that kind of thing will happen. Sure, 100%. <laughs> um yeah, Brendan Rice, the the word on him is 100% potential. And it is hard to say with some of these guys from some of these places like well, we talked about um, about uh, Terrell Bynum from Washington. Like, were his numbers amazing? No, but like Washington's passing offense was bad. So, like, do you even blame him for not being super productive? And I think Brendan Rice is in a similar situation at Colorado. Where it's like, would any receiver have incredible numbers in right. that offense? I'm I'm not sure. And and maybe we talked about it last year. Like, that might be the worst passing team we've ever seen. Yeah, it's just not, there's nothing to write home about for them. So right. Brendan Rice is coming to USC because I think he sees the potential of this offense under Lincoln Riley and knows what he can, he can find his growth there. He, whether or not he is the real deal will be found out. But I think you can do uh, worse than you get Brendan Rice and Terrell Bynum. And I think you're hoping just to hit on one of them. That's sure. the way I see it. Sure. And I think the interesting thing, well, and you have to pick up the bodies that, pick up more bodies that, that you've lost, right? Um, SC is as many receivers as they have, they've still lost a bunch of, of, of guys. Brew McCoy this week mm-hmm. went into the transfer portal. Obviously he didn't play last year, but he's another guy. Drake London is gone. Um, Renew McLean has uh, not played the last two years. You know, all Michael these, these is- uh, Michael Trigg is gone, right? All these things you, you need to sort of build on that. Um, and you hope that it, pays out more than the transfers last year, which were Jake Smith, who didn't play with an injury all year, uh, and Katie Nixon, who was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. 
So you hope that, that those two guys can, um, Mario Williams and Brendan Rice and, uh, and Terrell Bynum can really sort of take a big step there. Uh, talking about the running backs, Austin Jones and Travis Dye. Yeah, Travis Dye, the guy who has a million ru- uh, rushing touchdowns for Oregon this past year. A, I sort of thought about him as a short-yarded specialist, but that's not really the case. You look into his numbers, he had a ton of yards, led the Pac-12 in, in yards from scrimmage, uh, both as a running back and a receiver out of the backfield. Is great in short yardage. Does everything you want except for wearing gloves. <laughs> so he's low on the Michael Index. Give him some gloves, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, he seems like a dude who does, dude just sort of lives his own life. He's wears that mustache and he owns it. So I will say, I'd rather have a dude just wear that kind of mustache than have a mullet. Way better than a mullet. So I'll I'll give you a pass there, Travis Dye. But I mean, can we just? stop for a moment and contemplate the fact that USC took Oregon's leading rusher and now has that level of runner who, whether or not you have feelings about his running style or anything like that, his productivity is undeniable. He was incredibly productive with Oregon. And that's somebody that USC is going to have come in and replace Keontae Ingram, who you and I are huge fans of Keonta Ingram. Wish he was coming back, but I can never get mad at a running back for leaving. Um, he put in his time. So you you could you couldn't ask for a better situation for USC to uh, to, to get a running back in in terms of plug and play for a year. Travis Dye is 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 good while also weakening a, a Pac-12 rival. Like that's that's great. That's perfect. That's USC hitting a home run, and that's also making a statement because Travis Dye sees more potential at USC than he does at Oregon. Clearly, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but he's coming home to to California to Los Angeles, and he's bringing you know 1,200 rushing yards and 16 rushing touchdowns along with him. Like USC couldn't have asked for much more. Yeah, and you put him together with Austin Jones, and it's wild that. SC can boast the Pac-12 touchdown leader in 2020, Austin Jones, and the the Pac-12 yards from scrimmage leader in 2021, Travis Dye. Those are the two guys you bring in at running back. Sort of the opposite of, of the receiver thing. I feel like the receiver guys are talented players who haven't had productive years, and yet the running backs are super productive guys that... You can you can argue about are they the 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 super high draft pick guys? Probably not. That's why they're still still playing in college. They're going to come back for another year in twenty twenty two. Don't expect Austin Jones or or Travis Dye to be first round picks, but they're highly productive, and that's what you want. It's college football. You need to find someone who's productive. Austin Jones is a speedy dude. We we saw it in in week two. He was one of the reasons that that Clay Helton got the axe, right? Like, he had that big 80-something-yard touchdown run uh, against the Trojans in Week 2, which he just burned SC. Well, and that's and that's what USC is going for with the, the running backs, um, is speed, um, and also... Are, are they going for distance? <laughs> yes, exactly. But really, I think that they're pairing the productivity of those guys with the potential behind them, you know? 
I still think Darwin Barlow is a guy who could win who could win a lot of snaps to, to and, and win a chance to be on a field on the field in in camp. Um, I liked what I saw from Darwin Barlow this past season, so I wouldn't write him off totally uh, to compete behind Travis Dye. But you have Relique Brown coming in. We know he's a speedster. We know he's a super talented player who should get playing time as a true freshman. We know that Brandon Campbell was a guy that we all liked coming in uh, as a as a recruit coming in uh, uh, last year. So USC has some unknowns at running back, and now they've added two knowns. So at the very least, if the three guys you already had on the roster don't pan out, you're fine. You have two guys that you know can rush for hundreds of yards in the Pac-12. Yeah, and by the way, I take it back. Uh, it was Nathaniel Peets who had the 87-yard rushing touchdown uh, for Stanford, but Austin Jones had a 49-yard catch in that game. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he did still gash SC uh, and, and help prove that uh, SC needed to move on from Clay Helton uh, after week two. Uh, other guys talking about defense. Um, three in the front seven, Tyrone Tulaney from Kansas State, Romello Heights from Auburn, and Shane Lee from Alabama. Three totally different stories. Where do you want to start on those guys? I think let's start with the most important one. I think that aside from the quarterback situation, once the Jackson Dart thing came through, um, the number one need for USC was a starting caliber linebacker. And that's exactly who USC got in Shane Lee. Shane Lee started at middle linebacker for Alabama as a true freshman, or as a redshirt freshman, either way as a freshman, and had 86 tackles, 6.5 tackles for loss, he called defenses. He did his job. He had a very productive freshman All-American season. And uh, the last two years, he's just had a run of bad luck. He had, a, I think it was a sports hernia that took him out of the lineup. And then when he came back, Alabama had recruited some all-world, once-in-a-generation type talents to play linebackers. So, you know, tough break for uh, for Shane Lee, but it's USC's gain because he leaves and comes to USC, and I think that of all of the transfers that USC has coming in, with the exception of if USC gets Caleb Williams, Shane Lee is, to me, bona fide day one, walk on campus, he is the starting mic for USC. That's my opinion. Um, competition will obviously win out, but to me, he's the linebacker that USC needed, and USC has lacked at linebacker for many, many years now. I'm super excited about bringing him in. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is Shane Lee, I feel like, is going to be the guy who absolutely pans out because he can get back to where he was in 2019. Or he's going to end up being somebody that just had gonna... one of those careers where he had the one great season and then just had a... So much terrible luck he couldn't get back to it. Or I mean, yeah, he could end up being Solomon Tulio Pupu in a in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, like, I, and I don't, I certainly don't don't wish that upon anyone. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen, right? But like, it's it's so wild looking at how careers in college football pan out. Um, the last two years for Alabama have been weird. I mean, for college football, then the COVID year, and then. Uh, which I guess in Alabama was a regular year, and then <laughs> this past year. So I, I don't know. I think that absolutely, in an ideal world, he's the, the guy that you pencil in there at the mic and you can just plug and play. You got to see it, though. You, you, you got to see it. And Alabama has 
a crazy roster to break through. Um, but but what does it mean? What what does it mean uh, for USC in in year one uh, under Lincoln Riley? I don't know. I I think you want to hope that he can be that guy. I will need to see it first, just because it's been a long time. It's been uh, by the time we get onto the field later this year, it's three years, right? Yeah, yeah, that's three fair. years since he's been a starter. That's a long time. So, uh, but if he can actually absolutely get back there, then that would be a hell of a coup for USC's defense. Uh, and then there's Tyrone Tulaney from K-State uh, on the defensive line. Sort of a defensive end-ish body. You said that you, you kind of see him like a Nick Figueroa type, maybe. He's 6'2", uh, six, he, six, two, 275. Yeah. So not, he's not an interior lineman. Certainly not. But um, this is an interior line that could potentially see bodies like that. I mean, Alex Grinch had Hercules Mata'afa, who's a, who is a defensive tackle or... or what not at like two fifty? So you never know. You never know to see what what happens here. Obviously, SC has bigger bodies up in the middle that they can put there. But uh, Talani's interesting. Comes from Samoa, so SC loses Juliana Falanico, but they get Talani, so they continue to have a, a Samoan play a, a Samoan national on the team. And uh, ten games for the Wildcats, two tackles for loss the last two years. Kind of feels like. A guy who didn't get many opportunities, could he be someone who finally gets an opportunity and shines? I don't know. We'll see. Or is he another depth option? Either way, SC needs depth everywhere, so can't hurt. Yeah. Uh, worst case scenario, he's a body, and USC needs bodies on the defensive line. Uh, best case scenario, he comes in and has a huge impact and really shines and and is able to take the next step in his career. Um I don't know how productive he'll be at USC. I, I think that you just got to give him a chance to to come in and impress, and we'll see what the current coaching staff uh, does with him. But mm-hmm. you can't turn away defensive line additions. I think uh, Earl Barquet, uh did we decide if it was Barquet or Barquette? It's Burkett. Burkett, uh is another one of those guys where wasn't super productive at his last stop, but he's a body, and at the very least you're getting a body, and... You're going to see if you're going to hit on a couple of, of these guys. And if you do, awesome. Every once in a while, you get a Stevie T? Yeah. Uh, Romello Heights, another guy. Uh, I, I guess, uh, um, I, I don't know. Um, you're trying really hard to come up with a pun. I'm not. I'm just going to pass. Everyone that comes up is comes up a little short. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. Uh, uh, Romello Heights, an edge guy from Auburn. What, what do you say? Yeah, three tackles for loss for Auburn in nine games this past year. Another one of those guys that wasn't uber productive. But uh, my understanding is that the Auburn guys, like the Auburn fans, liked him. They were excited to see what he was going to do in 2022. They thought he had a chance to start as a junior. So uh, an, uh, I think you are taking a chance here on someone who hasn't been particularly productive. But in this case, you can really see it working out. Um he does appear to be more of an edge rusher, but he's a little bit slight for that. Six three two fifteen because of a sight. <laughs> no, literally six three two fifteen feels like an interesting body that I'm very curious where USC is going to fit him in this defense, and that's one of the things that it makes it very hard. You and I were going through the sort of projected depth chart. We're, we're going to talk about the the depth chart we've put together in a, in, yeah. in, a, in a few minutes yeah and uh there's a lot of 
question marks behind next to and around guys because, well, I mean, we're going to put him at edge, but would it be a surprise to see him end up as like a, a will linebacker? I, I maybe I mean, maybe he fits there. I don't know. It's a, I don't know what they have planned for him. Maybe he's a sort of nickel slot linebacker or something like that. I don't I have no idea. Uh, this is going to be something that the defensive coach is going to have to figure out. And that's going to make this offseason really intriguing as a result. Yeah, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how all of it comes to be, not only in the front seven or the front six, whatever it really is in college football these days, but in the back four or the back five, the secondary, because SC brings in two cornerbacks, Makai Blackman, a starter from Colorado, and Latrell McCutcheon, a four-star corner who is a freshman and just bounced after one year with the Sooners and follows uh, Lincoln Riley. SC needed depth at corner. We talked about it before that the way it is, you just basically pencil in or almost ink in Damani Jackson as a starter at, at corner because who's there? Who, there's nobody there that has uh, starting experience um, at corner for USC right now because ITS is gone. Uh, Chris Steele is gone. All those guys with starting experience is gone. The, the, the cornerback rotation looks like a bunch of dudes who have seen backup time. Uh, your, uh, your Prophet Browns, your Joshua Jackson, uh, Jackson's, uh, your Max Williams's who are coming off of injury, who could be a nickelback, right? You needed bodies and Makai Blackman fits in perfectly guy with starting experience at, at CU. Yeah, good starting experience. Uh, he's a guy, I think, another one where you look and say, you'd be a little bit surprised if he didn't step right in and command a starting job. And that's exactly what I want from transfer dudes. Uh, I either want you to pr- provide really solid depth for USC or step right in and be a, be a starter. And I think Makai Blackman comes in with those expectations. Latrell McCutcheon, um, talented kid, still young. So I'm not as certain about him making an immediate impact for USC, but he did well in uh, in his cameo appearances for Oklahoma. He was not pleased with the playing time he got at Oklahoma, so that's something to watch. But uh, it's a whole new world with Dante Williams coaching these guys, so we'll see how it goes. I find his stats fascinating, McCutcheon. He had something like nine tackles, uh, one PBU, one quarterback hurry, and two forced fumbles. Yeah. <laughs> like, not necessarily what you expect out of a corner, but... Uh, Alas, that's that, that's what it is. So that's where it stands with, with all the guys USC has brought in in the last few days. The outgoing dudes, still Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg, uh, looking to be a package deal, looks at Ole Miss uh, and OU, Oklahoma. Uh, it would be interesting if it was a straight-up Dart for, for Williams trade because I mentioned the whole, like, if this was pro sports, it would be Dart and Trigg for Williams. But it could literally end up being that. For Williams and Williams. For uh, that's Caleb true. and Marham. For Williams and Williams yeah. and Lincoln Riley. Yes, he went to the yes. trade. I, I yeah. Get, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, and then the other Williams, Jaden Williams, is currently in the transfer portal along with Ismail Shopsher and uh, Brew McCoy. Shopsher is a guy who came from Alabama. He was a high four-star um, uh, recruit uh, a few years ago. You expected that he would be the dude sort of last year we talked about that is he your diamond in the rough guy? Is he your Stevie T that didn't get a shot at Alabama, but at SC, maybe he does, and maybe he, he shines and all this stuff. Never got that opportunity. 
she couldn't really get him on the field. He had injuries, and he's now back in the portal. Yeah, disappointing. Took a flyer on a guy. Didn't work out. It happens. It's going to continue happening in the transfer portal, by the way, too. Yeah. It's the nature of the game. And Brew McCoy, what is, what's there to say? This was, It was inevitable that Brew McCoy was going to end up in the transfer portal. If you thought otherwise, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, 100%. Uh, last thing to mention, I don't think we've talked about uh, Sean Nua uh, as the defensive line coach uh, from Michigan. He's the He was the last addition uh, and uh, basically allowed SC to formally announce all of their coaches, which they did a couple weeks ago. Uh, thoughts on Sean Nua? Uh, that's a hell of a hire. Uh, really good recruiter. Did a hell of a job with Michigan's defensive line. Played a part in the development of of their outstanding guys like Aiden Hutchinson and and um and and others. So, yeah, that's a big boy hire. That's a that's a Josh Henson level hire type hire. Yeah, it's a big get for SC. Uh, Josh Nua, I mean Sean Nua, played at BYU. Uh, the timeline's interesting because I think that he might have overlapped a little bit with Vic Soto, which is huh. I- ironic, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, another another good get for USC on the defensive line. We'll see what he can do uh, for the Trojans. So USC's coaching staff, pretty solid, pretty solid on paper. We'll see how everything comes together this year. So let's run down really quick before we get to the mailbag. Where does the roster currently stand? This, as it stands right now, this is our best, best guess, Alicia's best guess. She has taken more of the lead this time. Last time, I just kind of threw names at, at a board. This is her opportunity. Uh, you want to run down it? Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, quarterback until otherwise uh, n- otherwise changed, uh, Miller Moss. At running back, we're going Travis Dye with Austin Jones and Darwin Barlow behind. At uh, H-back, tight end, whatever you want to call it, Lake McCree with Malcolm, Malcolm Epps and Jude Wolf behind. Uh, X-wide receiver, I've got Brendan Rice or Kyle Ford. With Terrell Bynum, C.J. Williams, and Kyron Ware Hudson sort of in the mix behind. Uh, at wide receiver, I've got Gary Bryan Jr. with Jake Smith maybe behind. I'm just not sure where to evaluate Jake Smith. At Z wide receiver, I've got Mario Williams with Taj Washington behind. And then there's just a bunch of other receivers that we'll see where they all fit. Uh, at the offensive line, we've got left tackle Bobby Haskins, left guard Andrew Rohes, center Brett Nealon. Right guard, Justin Dietrich, right tackle, Cortland Ford, with Jonah Monheim either starting at one of those right tackle or right guard positions or being the backup for every position on the he, line. He's your sixth man, basically. He's your sixth man, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's that's the offensive lineup that I, I think is coming, and I'm pretty happy with that. I think that offensive line has proved this past year that they can get the job done, and uh, the, the they have a competent coach coming in to hopefully take them to that next level as well. Running back looks a hell of a lot better now than it did a couple weeks ago. Uh, the big, big question, wide receivers gotten filled in. Big question, quarterback. So here's my question for you. That roster as it stands is still a piecemeal roster, right? It's put together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of transfers in there. Not as many as there are defense, uh, it feels, at least at the, at the beginning of at the, the front line spots. But... Um, there's still a lot of input from the transfers at you know running back and at receiver and all that. Can you make the argument that that's the best offensive roster in the conference? Uh, can I? Hmm. 
Because hear me out. I think it could be, which is ironic because this is probably what we would have to assume. We're just going to assume this, right? And and maybe this is super presumptive that we assume that this roster in year one will be the relative worst in a weird way of using the word worst that Lincoln Riley will have at USC. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. And yet you look at this roster and I think you compare it to every offense in the league and you absolutely, I think, take this roster over literally everybody's. So I think that... The the difference is the quarterback thing. So if you want to put all your stuff in the quarterback thing, then you might want to just take Utah straight up just so you can get Cam Rising. And that's where I was going to go. But if you get Caleb Williams, then it undoubtedly has to be the best roster in the the Pac-12. I think that... I I think you give Utah the edge still just because I think there's more sure th- like I, I know what Utah's offense is going to look like with Cam Rising and when you pair it with their scheme and you they, know that- they know what they're going into sure. everything going but, on with this not, offense I'm is I'm not talking about the pairing with the scheme thing I'm just strictly no but we're roster. talking about the, the, the roster I mean I think that there's tons of potential here but too much of it is potential for me to say that this will be a better offensive roster than what Utah will put out there. Fair. That, that's completely fair. I, it's completely fair. I guess my thing is, if if this is what it start like if this is the starting point for what USC's offense can be under Lincoln Riley, it's this a, is hell a hell of a, of a good starting start. point. Yes, I think hell of a starting point. I think USC is set up about as well as it could possibly be without knowing what's going on at the quarterback spot to succeed on offense next year. Yes. Absolutely. And and to your point, there's a lot of these guys, you know, save for the running backs, Diane Jones, who I think are proven. We've talked about them in terms of production. There's a lot of guys on here who are not necessarily proven in terms of big numbers, like Brendan Rice. Uh, Gary Bryant Jr. has not put together an 80-cat season. and mm-hmm. uh, Kyle Ford, we keep waiting for him to break out and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, Mario Williams just hasn't had the opportunity yet. He's only had one season in college football. So, yes, there's, these guys haven't put up the, the, the Buku numbers yet. But you, just in terms there's, of talent, there's it's a lot absolutely of, there. Th- it's absolutely there to be competitive in the Pac-12. Yes. you got to feel good about the You offense. have to feel good about that lineup. Yes. yes. Now, let's talk about the defense. Okay. I have Nick Figueroa. Somebody... Whether that somebody is Brandon Peely, if he's still around, Stanley Taofu, Jamar Sakona, Dejan Benton, Earl Barquet, somebody at at knows. I I don't know who. Some somebody will have to play that position, and I don't know who. Um, DT, I've got Tuli Tupolotu, Mike linebacker Shane Lee. With Raylan Goforth behind Will Linebacker, I've got Rajon Davis with Julian Simon behind. Rush end, I've got Corey Foreman and Romello Height. I've got cornerback Damani Jackson. Uh, strong safety, Xavier Alford or Chris Thompson, not sure. Free safety, Kalen Bullock or Isaiah Polamau if he's still around because we haven't heard a thing about him. The IPM thing is fascinating <laughs> um, to me because... Yeah. We've talked about it before, like we had so high, the expectations for him were so high last year, and it's a prototypical. I, I think he's a prototypical grad transfer. Yes, and, and yet, and yet he's still here. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know. And I, he's someone who absolutely can still take that next step and can still be the the, you know, all conference guy that you wanted expected him to be the he can, you know, he can be that dude. You just need to see it. Well, I'm I I don't I don't even know. I this is the thing about putting together a projected starting lineup for this defense is I don't even know. Uh, well, everyone Mekhi in secondary Blackman, could be at a different position. Well, okay, so here's the thing. I've got Makai Blackman and Damani Jackson as the starting corners. Could it be... I think that's Lat- probably as good of a guess as, as you good could of a guess. right now. Could it be yeah. Latrell McCutcheon? Sure. Could it be Prophet Brown? Sure. Could it be Max Williams? Sure. Could it be... I don't know, Sierra Wright? Sure. Could it be any number of other person? Yeah, sure. I'd Maybe safeties i think galen bullock will be a starting safety i don't know if he will be a free or a strong and i don't know who will be next to him um i know the only thing about the front seven i, I know i know three things about the front seven shane lee will be a starting linebacker if he's healthy nick Fergero will be a starter on the defensive line and tuli tupeloti will be a starter on the defensive line other than that, starters, backups, third strings anything like that any of the positions thro- take it yeah. put it in a in a dice throwing cup shake it up Throw it out there and call Yahtzee and if if you get it. But otherwise, I have no idea what this defense could be. And there is Alex Grinch has a lot of work to do, not just to get a, the defense put it plugged in and everything like that, but to re- rehabilitate some of these players too to make them be greater right. than what they like. Corey Foreman. You have to get more out of Corey Foreman than you got out of Drake Jackson this past year. Yeah. Don't let him down. Damani Jackson, Kalen Bull, all these dudes. There's some there's some dudes in this defense. I but, feel really good about the talent that's the in the secondary. Indi- the individual The individual talent in the secondary. Like it like David Alfred, I thought was really good last year. Kalen Bullock was a superstar in the making last year. Uh, you you want to hope that Damani Jackson can be everything that you think he can be as a as a five star guy, um, and, and that you hope Makai Blackman can be just exactly what he was last year, and that would be just perfectly fine as a starting mm-hmm. cor- corner, right? Like you want to believe at the same time. Again, all of it could be a jumble because you don't know where any of those guys could be positioned. Um, so I I, I don't know. The the defense is the sort of. They're the same as the offense in that there's a lot of guys who aren't individually proven but to have the talent. But the biggest difference is a lot of these guys on this roster here were still here last year and were part of a defense that failed. Nick Figueroa and Tui, P- Tui Pelotu were supposed to be the guys to drive that defensive line and be in the backfield all the time, and they could not register a sack last year to save their life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's their that it was their fault. Like I think that the defense collectively, schematically, and everything just failed. Um, from a coaching perspective, I would blame the coach when every player seems to be not on the same page. Yeah, but it just I I I don't know about this defense. I think that you can look at it and say that there's there's things that can come together, and they could be solid. Would I bet on it right now? No. But it they could be. But then you go back into the whole situation of, okay, if the offense just gets 7 to 10 points better than they were last year, which is, I don't think, unreasonable to ask for, 
given that SC left a billion points on the board in the red zone last year. So you don't even have to really change that many things. Just finish off your drives. And if SC is able to do that, and Oklahoma was the number one red zone team in the country last season. So then if you're able to just convert on those things, you're going to score seven to 10 more points per game. The defense doesn't have to be perfect and they can buy time for the defense to gel. USC averaged 28.7 points per game in 2021. They gave up 31 points per game. Yeah. And so if you, so hypothetically, let's just say the defense is exactly the same 31 points. I don't think anyone's expecting a world beater defense in year one, especially with a patchwork roster that is built so much on transfers. Let's just say hypothetically, it's exactly the same. Ideally, you like them to be three to four points better, right? But hypothetically, it's exactly the same. And the offense if you just gave gets me- a touchdown better. They're going to be the, the team as a whole will be significantly better. If you gave me USC's defense gives up 29 points per game next season, I would take it. Just based on the offense being a given to be more than that? I I think I take 29 points a game knowing that the offense is going to has to score more than 28 points per game. They have to. Um a quote unquote bad Oklahoma team scored 39.1 points per game this past se- season. Uh it's just unthinkable. Like I'm not re- I'm not going to sit here and say that Lincoln Riley is going to be able to get this offense to score. But but Alicia, that, that was a bad Oklahoma team with a coach who, who was spent tanking the entire utterly. year was tanking so yeah. he can get the SEC. I job. mean, that's that's clearly what yeah. happened, right? Um that's what that's what I read on, on the board. Yeah, so much. So in twenty eighteen, Lincoln Riley took Oklahoma to the playoff. They averaged forty eight point four points per game and they gave up thirty three point three points yeah, per I game. Yeah, I don't think SC's roster I'm SC's not gonna sit here and say offense that, is at that level. Yeah, I'm no, not gonna say that no. USC's offense is going to start putting don't expect up forty that. points a game. Don't expect no. that in twenty twenty two. But do I think that Lincoln Riley's offenses score a lot more points than we're used to seeing from USC recently? And that even in a settling in year, that Lincoln Riley will be aiming to be well above 35 points per game uh, and isn't unreasonable in, in that expectation. No, I do not. I, I don't think that's asking too much of, of Lincoln right. Riley. Like 35 points per game is I think Lincoln Riley will probably be disappointed if that's what he averages this this upcoming year. Yeah. Well, hey, remember but, that. Uh, <laughs> Well, what was it that um, that Graham Harrell wanted, the 55-point offense or whatever? Yeah, and he barely got to 30 half the time. <laughs> uh, but my, my point being is that if USC scores 35 points a game, even if they're giving up 29 points a game, they're going to win eight games. So, yeah, I, I can look at that defense and say, can that defense be... No worse than they were this past year. Abso-freaking-lutely, this defense can be no worse than they were this past year. And I don't think I'm asking too much of an offense to score yeah. 33 points a game. Yeah. The, the the defense, you have to think, could not be worse. And the offense, like, just inevitably has to be better. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all this talk about last year, we still have to do the over-under, uh, looking back at the season-long over-under. So let's do that uh, before we get to the mailbag. 
So you're going over. I'm doing bold. Give me that over. I go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, let's get to the season-long over-under. Our buddy Marcelo in the slack said, hey, you guys forgot to do this, so we're doing it. Because we did forget, let's be honest. Uh, the first one, you said over-under. 30.5 rushing attempts per game for the Trojans in 2021. The Trojans had averaged 30 point something the previous two seasons. Uh, I was over. You said under. I said over. It was over 33.4%. Sorry. Uh, 33.4 rushes per game for USC. Yeah. Uh, I have no... I don't even... I guess once you start losing and you don't have your quarterback situation figured out, you're going to run the ball more. I don't know. Yeah, the quarterbacks got hurt and they had to deal with uh, going to the ground. Uh, Keon Ingram was really damn good. You might as yeah, well, give him, the, might as well. Give, give, give him the rock. So uh, next one, over under five and a half games, in which Keaton Slovis will throw within 300 to 399 passing yards. <sighs> I said this because he did it four times in six games in 2022. Uh, you took the over. You really committed him to... No, I do not think I was unreasonable by taking the over. <laughs> I do not think I was unreasonable. USC was unreasonable by going as far well, under as they did. It was one. He had a 355-yard passing day against Oregon State. By the way, I looked this up. His career high, or season high this past year was 401 against Utah. I don't, I don't think remember I could have guessed that in a million years. I don't remember that game at all. Yeah, I think a lot of people put that on their mind. All right, let's go to the next one. Sacks. You said over under 2.25 in the first year of Clay McGuire. I took the under. You took the over. It was under 1.5. SC was all the way up to 23rd in FBS. Pretty uh, the, solid. The work that Clay McGuire did with this offensive line, incredible. Yeah. Uh, against the spread, I said over under 6.5 against the spread wins for SC in 2021. Uh, you took the under. Uh, good for you. Yeah, <laughs> this was way under. Uh, SC's record against the spread was four and eight. Yeah, that always take that under. Yeah, big time. Uh, next one, you said over under twenty five and a half turnovers gained. Uh, SC had gotten a bunch in twenty twenty. You'd think it'd, it'd translate to twenty twenty one. No, uh, I took the over. It was under, way under at nineteen. Mm, yeah, every defensive over-under was not going to hit. No, 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 no. Uh, next one, I said three and a half players missing games for COVID protocols. Uh, you took the over and good for you because we don't even have a stat here because, yeah. It was just over. Definitely. like Even that Cal game, like there were all those guys missing at the end. Yeah. Some of them probably for COVID. Like I don't even know yeah. what the number was. It was just over. Uh, next one, you had 46 yards per punt, uh, 46.0 yards per punt over under for Ben Griffiths. I took the under, you took the over. It was under 44.95. He was fourth in the pack 12. I knew if it was the under, it wouldn't be far under Ben Griffiths. Yeah. You go, man. He's a yard short, yard short of, of, of your line there. Next one. I said over under 85% red zone defense. Defensive uh, conversion <laughs> percentage because SC was so bad uh, in, in 2020. Uh, you took the under. You, you had hope in USC's defense, and they came through. USC, look at that in the red zone on defense, 80.85 percent of all of the bad 
things that you maybe this was because they weren't in the red zone that often because they gave up touchdowns from outside the red zone perhaps long 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 plays yeah Yeah. uh (laughs) didn't do it for sc on defense uh next one you said over under 150.0 as a fourth quarter passer rating for keaton fourth quarter slovis i took the over of course and it was over he was (laughs) 164.75 Not the, like, amazing, like, 206.8 that he was in 2019 as a freshman, but still over. I, d- I don't even know. I don't even know. Fourth quarter Slovis, baby. It's Ugh. a thing. It's a thing. Uh, I said 14 and a half receptions for Michael Trigg, trying to compare him to other tight ends. You took the under, and good for you, because he ends up getting hurt, and that's the reason he doesn't get the over. He had seven in six games, so he would have been right along that number, but uh, it is an under. That's the hard part about over-unders. Can't account for dudes getting hurt. Yeah, or uh, getting fired. Mm. Because you said ten and a half games before Clay Helton is fired. Uh, You took the under, I took the over. Uh, It was under, it was two. (laughs) It was way under. (laughs) Way, way, Uh, way under. Thanks. Uh, next one, over under, I said 99.5 catches for Drake London wow, wow. in 2021. Lisa, he almost got this. Uh, he almost got it. He only played eight games. Really, seven and a half games? Seven and a half games. Can we just live in a universe where he did get this? He had seven and a half games and caught 88 passes. So uh, it's under. He was on pace for 132, and that assumes that in the eighth game, the one that he got hurt, that he would have had zero catches in the second half, <sighs> which wouldn't have happened. I, uh, just, uh, the what could have been for Drake London. Oh, Absolutely. All-time great brutal. season in USC history, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Uh, last one, over under 1.33, plus 1.33, turnover margin per game. Really optimistic from Brandon. You took the under, I took the under. It was under SC right at the legal limits, <laughs> minus 0.08, which is uh, time for 46th in FBS. I mean, that's not, that, that's not nearly as bad as I would have guessed. Yeah, basically, basically zero. Yeah. Basically zero yeah. Uh, in terms of turnover margin. Uh, let's go to the stats here. You went seven and six. I went seven and six. Tied. On the season long over unders. Are we going to play an overtime where only I get to answer a question? No, because this isn't, this isn't the stupid NFL. <laughs> uh, that assumes you win the toss, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the big winner here in first place. First of all, let's go to second place where we had four people tie. So really the top five here finished first and second. The second place ties with a, a over-under pick record of 10-3 and three in these 13 over-unders. Uh, Trojans 312, Aaron's Air Raid, Trojan Duck, and Britt from Irvine. Congratulations, you all finished second. Because first place, of course, you know it had to be. The over-under king himself. Yeah, with an 11-2 record, he probably cheated. David Orange. <laughs> no, David Orange County is just better than all of us at making picks. He Apparently. smoked us. Yeah. Blasted. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. To be fair, we get locked into half of our picks by the other person. So. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, then just you, you need to make worse better picks. Better so over-unders. I can. I can yeah. 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 All right. Mailbag. We're going to rapid fire these because we got a million questions. And we've gone super long. 
This is going to be like a two-hour episode at this point. Yep. Uh, take a mail ba- uh, quick break, mailbag, and wrap this thing. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, mailbag. Tweet from Joe M. What additional moves would it take to have USC as favorites in the South as well as the conference as a whole? Uh, let's say Caleb Williams, uh, a standout nose tackle, nose guard addition through the transfer portal and yeah i don't i don't know like if i'm just gonna keep i mean i could also i could keep going and say like an all-american safety and an all-american right tackle and an all-american wide receiver i think i think i wouldn't be surprised if sc was favorites in the south on media day because it's sc because there's hype with the lincoln riley stuff that is just gonna be inevitable so i wouldn't be surprised if if caleb williams is all they need realistically, I don't think I would, I think at this point that I think SC could absolutely win the South and contend in the conference. Utah still, I think is too scary to realistically say that definitively, but SC could surely could, could do it. Um, Joe's next question. You have to make one change to our uniforms. What would it be? Adding an alternate is valid. What did did you do here? Okay. I don't, I don't want to do like a cop out, but like I would, bring back the shiny helmets which i personally oh, enjoyed okay um the uh javorium helmets as we called them um how about matt i like matt helmets I, i'm not sure that matt would work with usc's uh uniform scheme matt on the ho- on the roads though like i do a lot of road jersey tweaking matt helmets or shiny I, by helmets. the way do not want white pants i, d- I didn't no, like when you no said i pants. did it I don't like that Michigan's done it either. No, I don't like it. We see the white pants in practice because they wear white pants in practice, yes. and I do not like it. Don't so. like it. Uh, yeah, other than I think that, it's a good idea, but you see it in person, and you're like, nope, that's yeah. not it. Other than that, I would add an alternate uniform. I would, I would do an alternate um, uniform, uh, so long as it is respectful of tradition. Oh wait, no, 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 no. The thing we, the thing we always fall back on, alternate throwback. With the side, with the um, McKay stripes. With the McKay stripes. Sorry, the Robinson stripes. Yes, with the Robinson stripes. I said the Robinson stripes because it's the seventies stripes. Yeah, the McKay teams at the end wore those, but when you think of McKay, you think think of of the you think of the the, chevrons. Yeah, yeah. The one that we have a a Marcus Allen right, the crescents. Crescents. We have a Marcus Allen bobblehead on the uh, on the desk between us. Yeah, those with the the side things. Yeah, Um, what Carson Palmer wore. his first yeah. four seasons. But like high and tight, you know, like the way that Ohio State wears it high and tight on the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. And the absolutely you could do those. Um, the other thing, I love the old numbers. The new numbers have worn on me, but I really miss the old numbers a lot. Bring back the old numbers. Also, I think I might get rid of the whole neck thing. Don't like it on the road jerseys, the red collar mm. kind of over it. I don't mind it. Uh, Chris says, what are realistic expectations for year one under Lincoln Riley with Caleb Williams and without? I think Caleb Williams is worth one extra win at least. Maybe even two. I might go as far to say. Uh, I think a real expect- realistic expectations are eight and four. And um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to talk about ten and two. But I don't want to talk about ten and two. So I'm going to say eight and four. 
Yeah, I think eight and four is eight and four is a sweet spot because you have to account for growing pains. I I think that yes, that we talk about this this roster is based on a lot of ifs. That there's a lot of talent there, but we've seen some guys be productive and other guys can't. But in the scheme, maybe if everything comes together, they can absolutely be huge with and without Caleb Williams. But there's still a lot of ifs there, and I think well, eight th- and four. Nine and three. To me, that's the breakdown with Caleb Williams. Nine and three uh, with the hope. It's one of the things I would put this number lower than you think because you hope that everything comes together that that then it's 10 and two and they're ahead of schedule. They're a year ahead of schedule for where maybe you think they, they could be or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like, for instance, I mentioned this on a podcast before that Stanford game in week two, I think is worrisome yeah. because I think that no Stanford is not the team that they've been, but David Shaw is still the coach he's always been. And I think there's a very good probability that David Shaw spends the <laughs> spends, you know, eight months in his laboratory coming up with a game plan to make a statement that Lincoln Riley's not going to walk into the Pac-12 and make it his. And if that means putting all of their eggs in one basket of winning one game in the entire season, Stanford would do it and pull it off. Because we know that they've done that before. I also think Stanford is a team that we've just seen over the years that when they have a quarterback, they're solid. And when they don't have a quarterback, yeah, they're very bad. Tanner McKee's And they have be a quarterback. A, yeah, Tanner yeah. McKee looks good. Yeah. yeah. And so then you look at the road games apart from this. Oregon, Oregon State. State. It's all. It's Corvallis. Not, yep. It's Corvallis. Utah. Uh, Utah is going to be extremely difficult because not only, again, it's Rice Eccles, but it's Rice Eccles with Cam Rising and, and all that stuff that they were able to put together this past year. Yes, they lose a bunch of guys, but at this point, I'm going to stop reading too much into Utah losing players because they've proven that they can bounce back quicker than expected. Um and then you and Utah doesn't have to be Rose Bowl level Utah to beat USC at Rice Eccles. Right, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, and and I think I think it's really difficult too that when you look at the way the schedule breaks down, um, SC's kind of kind of gotta kind of gotta beat Utah to win the South, um, because the way the way it goes, if you don't, there, there's too many tough games in the North. Like the I know you miss Oregon and Washington, but. The Stanford and Oregon State games give me the heebie-jeebies. Mm-hmm. Maybe again, maybe I'm overthinking it, but it's year one. I think that there's going to be growing pains that I just wouldn't be surprised. And so, just just because the offense and defense might click in week three or week five or week eight, they can also lay an egg at any moment. And like sure. you have to assume that half the time they'll be gelling, and half the time they might not be, and you're going to face the consequences. And this of that. team by week twelve could be a completely different team than week two. Yes. So. Yeah, I think because of that, eight and four, nine and three, I think is the sweet spot, uh, with and without Caleb Williams. Um, tweet from John: Will you sign my petition to remove the find on emoji from Twitter forever? No, but, I love it. But, no, but, but we get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real question now: Seems like Riley is turning around things faster than we thought he would. What one thing could realistically go wrong to derail the train and turn 2022 into another disappointment? First things first, if they don't get Caleb Williams and Miller Moss gets hurt, Mayday. Mayday. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if it's just you don't get Caleb Williams, Jackson Dart leaves, and now only you have Miller Moss, you're now banking everything on Miller Moss being 
a good enough quarterback in live situations to guide you through this thing. And yeah, you are on a knife's edge. We have seen UCLA have seasons where they've had to dig down into their walk-ons to get quarterbacks. Like you don't want to end up like that. And USC right. isn't so far away from ending like uh, up like that. So number one is the quarterback situation goes wrong. Um, number two is the defense needs a complete and utter overhaul and the offense takes a little bit longer to start scoring 35 points than you'd hope. Yeah, I guess the... The defense isn't better at all than last year, and that they're literally the same as last year in part because... Or the it, defense is worse. Or, I mean, I, I know it's hard to imagine, I but it, imagine it, it but, could be worse. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's the, the thing. But I, I guess the biggest thing is injuries. Shane Lee isn't the guy, you, isn't the guy from 2019, and then there's big injuries at key spots like on the defensive line. Um, and at quarterback, and then you're right back to where you were. A uh, bunch of questions on the quarterbacks from D. White. Would you rather have JT Daniels and Jackson Dart as a package deal or just Caleb Williams? Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that JT and Jackson Dart are, can work as a package. I, I think don't Jackson think Dart is too both. good to be a package quarterback. Yeah. I, I like. I think that if you said JT and Matt Fink, as and Matt Fink is like the wrinkle guy, and you create something that works just for Matt Fink, I think yeah. that would make more sense to me. But even still, like at that point, you just give JT Daniels the reps. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, tweet from Ed: What is USC's backup plan if CW doesn't come? Meaning Caleb Williams. I, I guess there at this point are is, a you, lot of quarterbacks in the in the portal. Yeah, a lot of but them. But can can you are get, all of them can the you level? Get one by the end of the week? Are all of well? I think that you have to go through spring with what you with what you go through. But theoretically, if USC if USC doesn't have word from Caleb Williams by like Wednesday or Thursday, I think USC is within their rights to turn around and go like, hey, yo, we need quarterbacks. So like, hey, one of these guys who is uncommitted and sitting there waiting for an opportunity. There are a lot of them out there. So I think you just find someone else. Yeah. It's just a matter of going through and actually uh, finding someone else, which is uh, the the tough part. Uh, Next question comes from uh, Mike. Uh, Was Caleb Williams really eating tacos in LA yesterday? I don't know. I heard I, I heard he was he was more of an enchilada guy. <laughs> I uh, I can say with certainty that if there's anything going around on Twitter saying anybody saw Caleb Williams anywhere, whether it's Los Angeles or uh, Baton Rouge or anywhere, Norman, wherever, chances are that is not factual. Just don't believe Twitter. Yeah, we'll, we'll never completely trust all those things. Uh, tweet from Mazzle, uh, where do you think the recruiting class will eventually end up at? Could it be top 10? I don't know. I, 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 okay, so I, I have a question because I think part of the problem here is how do you judge a recruiting class now? Because like right now, USC's recruiting class is ranked 62 nationally, but like their transfer class is one of the top ones in the country. So how do you well, meld? They're they're different. They're different things, right? So, but USC's recruiting class is so small because they have to have room for the transfers that they're bringing in. So, in lieu of adding recruits, they're adding transfers. So, like, how do you judge 
like overall incoming players in terms of recruiting that isn't high school or anything like that. Yeah, I I don't think SC can possibly get to the top ten. Uh, you just look at the the guys who are available, right? That that SC is wanting to get. Like you just scroll, th- just really quickly scrolling through this list. Even if SC adds Josh Connerly, right, who's the the five star uh, offensive tackle from from Seattle, if you add him, SC gets up to their ranking or their their score is one hundred eighty six point three. So that takes SC to, let's say, where is it? Um, from where they are, they're, they're 63rd, takes them to 44th. And that's just by adding Josh Connerly. But, and that's and just, there's not many Josh Connerlys available. You know what I and mean? And USC isn't, re- isn't recruiting guys to be, like, they only have, their, they're, they're only looking at like three, maybe four dudes to add as high yeah, school there, there's recruits. Not a, so there's like, not it's not guys at this point. USC's recruiting class this year is a transfer class. So ranking is more irrelevant than it's ever been. And the, the other thing is, I think that, you know, you add Connerly and that gives SC nine commitments in the class. So this is going to be one of those classes that I don't think can be really evaluated by a team, by a class ranking because it's so few. Uh, it reminds me a lot of like the 2020, uh, the 2012 class, right? That was super tiny. Um, or the 2013 class that was super tiny. Uh, really heavy on stars because if, if they did get Josh Connerly, you got Connerly, Jackson, and Relique Brown who are all considered five star guys by 24 7. So you got a whole Ooh. bunch of talent, Ooh. but there's just okay. not that many bodies. Okay, 24 7 does have an overall team rankings combining transfers with recruits. And USC is currently ranked 13th in that. There you go. So could they be top 10 in that measure? Yes. I think if USC gets Caleb Williams, they probably... Caleb Williams and Josh Connerly? Yeah, yeah then, you probably jump yeah. up there. And but... I don't know where they sit exactly with Connerly. I mean, he's someone who's been recruited by Michigan for a long yeah. time. And Michigan and uh, Michigan's a pretty good team. They just went to the playoffs, right? So uh, that's going to be difficult. A uh, tweet from Steven. When was the last time ever that USC opted not to have a special teams coordinator? I want to say uh, Pete 2009. Yeah. I don't think that SC had a special teams coordinator back then because it was a big deal when they brought in Baxter in 2010 from mm-hmm. Fresno State. Part of it is because teams weren't given the option. They they only got the was it the, the 10th coach and the 9th coach or whatever it was. Recently. Re- the 10th coach know, recently. Yeah. yeah. It was four years ago, five years ago that that happened. Um, so before that, special teams coaches were an option. They weren't a standard until relatively recently. Uh, and if you remember, like a lot of people were, you know, critical of SC for having a special teams coach when that wasn't a standard. So it was one of those things. Yep. Uh, next one from Judy Madden. Which transfers are you most excited about on offense and defense and why? Uh, that's easy. Super easy. It's Mario Williams on offense so far. And Shane Lee on defense, right? For me, it's Travis Dye and Shane Lee. Yes. Okay. What what makes Travis Dye that one and offense? I think that he's more of a sure thing. Um, and I'm excited for USC to have a, a reason to run the football. Yeah. It definitely gives SC a reason to run the ball. 
Last one from Dan. When do you expect Lewis Hamilton to enter the portal and transfer out of F1? I don't think for a second that Lewis Hamilton is actually going to retire. I think he's coming back to try and get his his world championship. Yeah, I give it one or two seasons from here. And then at that point, he's done. Yeah, I think the moment he gets number eight. Number eight, yeah. He's done. Seems about right. Seems about right for me. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening as always. We'll be back uh, certainly next week. We promise. Trust me. At that point, we'll have Caleb Williams' decision. So we'll have to be back. So uh, thanks for listening as always. Uh, you guys are the best. Give us your reviews on Apple Podcasts and all that. Listen to us on Spotify and wherever else you can find us. Email address randomtrainfansider.com. Phone number 213. 213- 373-1872. Alicia, you got a final word? The final word is overtime. As in, the weekend of NFL playoff action might have been the best weekend of football that I've ever experienced. Um, and I'm really grateful to my new job that I literally have to sit here and like watch all of these NFL games and be present for them. Um, because... Those four games in the divisional round were utterly incredible. Just one after another after another instant classics. But man, our NFL overtime rules, the abso-freaking-lutely worst of all of them. They are bad. They are just irrational. And I really wish that the NFL would just make the simple changes that they need to make to stop the madness. It shouldn't be this hard. Yeah, 100%. Just play an extra period. It's not that hard. Well, they already do this weird contorting thing about, well, you, if both teams get a possession then, then and there's no touchdown, then they can, if they're going to go that far, then you just make it both teams get a possession, period. Yeah. And then after, well, so the simplest solution is both ke- both teams get a possession, after which it's sudden death. Which I still hate, by the way. Right. Because if the way that that game was going to go, it was going to be the last person to have the ball, period. Which would have been fine if it would have just been a set time. The way I see it, you play 10 minutes. You play 10 minutes. Or seven, like cut a period in half, whatever it is. If a team wants to eat up all 10 minutes. Let them do it. You know how hard that is? Yeah. It's almost impossible. So the other team is going to be inevitable to get an opportunity. So I'm fine with it. Play 10 minutes. Yes. That's all you got to do. If you're tied after 10 minutes, then you can go to some BS two-point conversion contest or something like that. Whatever. But play 10 freaking minutes. Yes, I agree. I, I don't I don't see the issue with it. Uh, my, my biggest thing, and I put this on Twitter, is like, I don't understand how the NFL has decided that, well, simultaneously, the... <laughs> The FIFA, the the soccer governing body, has decided that golden goals and and silver goals are unfair, categorically unfair and unhumane to let soccer matches be decided by a golden goal, which is sudden death goal, or a silver goal, which is a halftime sudden death goal in overtime because overtime is in two halves in, in soccer. That those things are inhumane in a game in which there is free form possession. Like it goes back and forth. Nobody gets it's not a turn based game. But they've decided that those type of goals are unhumane. And the NFL's like, well, we have a turn based game that is 
decided based on the turns that is literally flipping the coin, decided whose turn, and we are still going to have sudden death. It is utterly insane that both of those team, both of those governing bodies would have drastically different opinions on these things. Yeah. Well, both of those governing bodies are often stupid. And so they're, that's all, not a they're wrong on both of them. What? Bring back the golden goal, or at least the silver goal, and give me both teams having at least one possession. Come on. The the thing that annoys me is I see a lot of people like defending the NFL overtime rules. And well, like the, the one that pisses me off is well the Bills could have made a play on defense. Yeah. The, did you watch the game? The Chiefs didn't do a damn, damn thing, thing on, on defense, defense to, to win that game. Yeah. The only thing that the Chiefs won was the coin toss. Yeah. It's the only thing that the Chiefs defense won was the coin toss. Well, and that's and that's what like what frustrates me is that like okay, you can defend the system, but like I I'm not mad that the Bills lost. Like I don't give a crap who won that game. I have no dog in this fight. I just think it's dumb that the NFL prioritizes star power left, right, and center, and yet they have decided that it's a bad thing that that Josh Allen doesn't get to take the field in overtime, or that it's a bad thing that in if the roles were reversed that Patrick Mahomes wouldn't take the field. Like that, that we're just going to allow that to happen. That that's we're not going to let the game be decided by the two best athletes on the field doing their thing. Like I just uh, just. Stop defending a bad system. If you don't like the alternatives, like there are people who don't like the college football overtime, that's fine. You don't have to like the college overtime. But like the NFL could be very consistent. The NFL, like you already said, they already contort themselves to do this field goal bullshit. Like just do the touchdown possession thing. It's not that hard. Yeah, it literally is just changing like one word. and On the, the rule. Yeah. One word. Yeah. And it's not, it wouldn't be a perfect system, but college football's overtime isn't a perfect system either. So, like, I'm not holier than that. I understand that football in general is a difficult sport because you have to, you have to take in the, the, you can't let them play forever because it's so physical. I understand that there's limiting factors in that way and that there is no perfect ending to football because of that. But this is just like so far from being a suitable option. That it's insane. I don't know. When to me, like, the ultimate reality is, like, college overtime, but put it at the 50-yard line. Yes. That's my ideal overtime. Put it at the 50 so they have to drive into field goal range. Even if you wanted to do every, each team starts at the 35. Uh, 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 the opposite 35. So, like, you know th- as is? though there were a kickoff. Oh, oh, I got it. Started at the 50. And every possession, the the time drops. So you start at the 50, and you, you start with, uh, you have three minutes in the first overtime. Oh, so you create so, like sorry, a two- five, five minutes in the you, first overtime you, you, at no, the 50. Do like a four-minute drill, a two-minute drill, yes, a one-minute drill. Start four minutes at the 50 at and each then, team. And then you have to start doing like Hail Marys when you get down to like a 30-second drill. Yeah, like if you get to the fourth overtime... Yeah, like you've got 30 seconds on the clock or something yeah. like that. That would be fun. I'm on board with that. I like that. That's There's an elegance to that. that and and, a, and a, uh, you're creating that um, that tension because you're adding the time to yeah. it. This, yeah. is my, this is my new idea. I'm I sure it. someone else has thought of it. I'm not going to say that it's perfectly mine. If it is mine, I'll take all the credit. I like it. But that's my, my new thing. Uh, you have my endorsement, sir. All right, cool. All right, until then, we'll see you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place 
by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.